Good evening again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we've got some kind of spread out. You'll probably see one nearby. You could grab under the chair. We'll be on page 857 in the black Bibles that are nearby. Page 857, Luke chapter 2. Um, we're now on the third theme that we're looking at in the Advent season. It's joy week, and what we've been doing is kind of just committing to, to work through Luke as we look at the Christmas story in Luke and thinking about how these different themes come to play here. As we think about the theme of joy in Luke chapter 2, I just wanted to start off by reminding us of something that I think we forget, something that was very challenging for me in my own uh, Christian faith over the years, and that is that joy is a command. We're actually commanded to have joy. Um, if you're like me, I, I kind of grew up kind of stoic, um, feeling like it's uh, always appropriate to withhold emotion, to kind of play my cards close to my chest, keep those things private. Um, but the scripture challenges that and says, no, we're, we're supposed to put those things out there and actually rejoice in what God has done. Now, the Bible meets us where we are. The Bible is real and honest about this being a broken world, being a hard world, there being plenty of reasons to grieve. But the Bible also says that God has given us good news, reasons to rejoice, to have joy in the middle of all the brokenness that we see in this world. So be thinking about that. Just a, a, a good cross-reference for that is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's a good, good emphasis, right? Whenever he says, I will say it again, that's a good repetition there. So he says rejoice. It's a command to rejoice. We're going to see that picked up here in Luke 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 20. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me pray and ask God to help us to rejoice along with the first hearers of this message uh, and ask the Lord to teach us. God, we ask for your help. Um, God, you know there's many reasons for us to not rejoice. And so we pray for your help, for your supernatural joy to break in, uh, to teach us how to rejoice in the midst of a broken world. We pray for your spirit to meet us here, uh, to teach us your word, to shape us by it. We thank you for this story. We thank you for a story that's, that's too good to not be true. And we pray that you would transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had a great uh, children's program last night. I was very sad that I got to miss it, but I got the full report that it was awesome. 
We had a lot of squirming children singing Christmas songs, and it was just a beautiful thing from what I understand. A couple of weeks ago, I'd mentioned in one of the announcements, a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends that happens to be six that was in the Christmas program was telling me about the Christmas program, and he was just so excited he couldn't contain his excitement. He was showing me the Christmas songs they were going to sing, and he was like, Dave, we're singing my favorite songs, and he was literally shaking, like showing me the music, and this is so great, and I just was overwhelmed by the joy that he had, these fresh eyes that he, that he saw the just wonderful, what seems to us like a just simple opportunity to sing some Christmas songs together. He was just shaking with joy. It reminded me that Jesus says if we want to be his disciple, we have to become like a little child. And so I think for us cynical old people that have found plenty of reasons to not rejoice in this hard world, it's helpful to look at kids as they rejoice in the wonders of these simple things. Um, And even more than rejoicing in simple things, we have really spectacular news to rejoice over in this Christmas story. Um, So that's what the shepherds were called to rejoice over, and that's what I think we're called to rejoice over as well this Christmas season is seeing what God has done for us in Jesus and rejoicing. Despite the fact that the world is still hard, we still hurt, we still go through bad things, but we have reasons to have joy. The first thing that I see as we work through the text is that joy is for outsiders. Joy is for outsiders. This is an amazing story, and one of the things that we're going to keep coming back to, I'm going to keep saying, is as we review the elements of the Christmas story, uh, we need to be shocked all over again. That God appears, not to the insiders, God doesn't come and bring this announcement to the ambassadors and the kings and the princes. God comes to these shepherds out working the night shift. Look at verse 8. He says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Any of you ever worked with animals before? I've got animals. We talked about this a little bit last week as we were talking about, like, I can't believe God put his baby in a manger, you know, and some of that stuff. Um, animals can be very dirty. Uh, I mean, for that matter, just little boys can be very dirty. But, I mean, animals are even dirtier, right? And uh, these guys are working with animals. And we kind of romanticize shepherding because it is a metaphor that's used throughout Scripture for God's love for us. Psalm 23 is a famous psalm. So if you are an Old Testament Jew or even a, a Jew at the time of the first century when this was written, um, there would be some sense in which we might romanticize shepherding and be thinking about how God is like a shepherd in some way. Um, but in the first century, kind of where the rubber meets the road, the, the day-to-day, they, they would have seen shepherds as outsiders. These would have been working class, night shift guys working a grubby job. They were dirty. They were sleeping outside. They were in the weather. Um, these weren't the insiders. These weren't the important people. Um, And I know if you're like me, sometimes you've felt like you're an outsider, right? I I keep wanting to say, raise your hand, but I'm not going to make you raise your hand because that's going to just make you feel even more like an outsider, right, to just announce it to everybody. But I think really, I've I've worked with people enough, I know this is a universal human problem. And really, theologically, we go back to the garden, ever since Adam and Eve were locked out of paradise, right? There's this angel with the flaming sword keeping everybody out of paradise now, out of Eden, back in Genesis 3. Ever since then, we've all been outsiders. We're all outsiders. So I know some of you have have gone through significantly hard things, some maybe abuse or pain or difficulties that I don't quite understand, I haven't fully experienced. I want to recognize that and let you know that I know some of you feel maybe a deeper sense of shame or a deeper sense of I'm an outsider. 
But what I want you to understand is that, that everybody feels that, and the people that you look at, you say, those, those people have got together. They're the insiders. Those people feel it too. We're all outsiders. We're all locked out of heaven. We're all lock, locked out of Eden. We're all locked out of paradise. And the Christmas story is that God brings joy to outsiders like, like you and me. Without making too much about the shepherds themselves, I want you to think about who are the people around you, what are the kinds of people that you see as outsiders? Maybe the kinds of people that you see as the second-class people or the grungy people or the dirty people or the people that it's hard to be around. And I want, to, I want you to think about, kind of play that out, that God comes to those kinds of people. I like to use a, a picture for each point, and I just went with a blank slide for this one because I want you to use your imagination. I just want you to think, who are those people? Who are those people that make me uncomfortable? Who are those people that I don't want to be around? Who are those people that are the outsiders to me and recognize that God, the God of the universe came for outsiders? And so by way of application, for us to live this out, I, I think if we recognize that the God of the universe came for outsiders, he came to bring joy to the outsiders, then we should reflect that in how we relate to other people, right? We then would be the kinds of people that love outsiders also. So whoever those people are that are hard for you to love, ask yourself, why, why am I not moved towards those people in love? I, I think one of the reasons is we often don't recognize that, that we ourselves are outsiders. Sometimes we think we're insiders. Sometimes we mix that up and we get that confused. We forget that God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing you did to win the approval of God. There's nothing I did to win the approval of God. God's not impressed with our, our record of achievement or the neighborhood that we grew up in or our family background or our education. God's not impressed with those things. We're in the family of God because of what God has done for us through Jesus because God is the kind of God that brings joy to the outsiders. He brings joy to the humble. I don't want us to flip back because... There's the chance of getting lost. But in just the previous chapter, God announces to Mary that she's going to receive uh, this child. And she sings a song. It's called the Magnificat because uh, that's Latin for magnify. And in, in the phrase, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I just want to read you one little part where Mary says this. He's shown strength with his arm, talking about God. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. It's a challenge that God is always reversing things. The people that think they're insiders are actually outsiders, and the people that think they're outsiders and nobody cares, God comes to them and he says, I love you. I have good news for you. So it's, again, just this, this crazy story that we have to see. God values the people that we often don't value. God values us when we think we have no value. He gives us value from the outside because of who he is, not because of what we've done. So we have to also value other people. One of the ways that we say this theologically is we see every person is made in the image of God. Right? Every person is made in the image of God. So all people, no matter your tribe or neighborhood or background or country of origin, you have value because God made you. God made you to glorify him. So we should reflect that. We should honor other people. And we should be very careful that we don't allow um, diversity 
to be stolen by the political correctness crowd and, and kind of look down on that because it's a political football and people love to talk about it and it's trendy. We, we have to realize that it really genuinely is a value of God. Diversity is something he values. God really is calling every tongue and tribe before his throne. That's the vision that we see in Revelation. Ephesians is clear, and Paul says that the church is the place where the multicolored wisdom of God is displayed. So we want to be a people that reflect diversity, not because it's cool or because it's hip, but because we're united in Jesus. Because we all know as different kinds of people that gather together from different backgrounds and different places, we all gather together saying, we know that God values us because of what he's done, not because of where we come from. So that's a value. And again, that'll work its way out in us loving other kinds of people. That'll work its way out in us loving the kinds of people that maybe previously in our life we saw as outsiders. We're now going to be moved towards people in love, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. And again, I think the key is recognizing that we were outsiders too. If you recognize that you're an outsider that couldn't bring yourself into God's presence, then that's going to make you compassionate towards other people that might otherwise be seen as outsiders. So God brings joy for the outsiders. The the next thing that we see is that this joy comes from heaven. So these were shepherds working the flock by night. It says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Whenever angels or messengers of God appear to people in the Bible, um, they usually freak out, cry, pass out, faint, fall on their face, get sick. That's the normal response when you're in the presence of the holiness of God. And that's easy for us to forget at the place we are in history. Um, We've heard the story of Christmas almost so many times that I think we're kind of at a cultural shift where we talk more about God's grace and God's love and we're kind of starting to forget that God is holy and that he judges sin and that he hates sin, right? I mean, just surf Facebook and you'll hear real quick from your non-Christian friends that nobody should judge and God doesn't judge. And, you know, from our friends that haven't actually read the Bible, they'll quote those, you know, one or two verses where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, right? They know that verse. They don't know any others. Well, no, God, God does actually stand in judgment over sin. That's why we need to be so careful about being judgmental, because God hates sin. God judges us. And Jesus is saying, be very careful. Don't take that on yourself. Don't make yourself God, because God does judge sin. God does hate sin. God is holy. He is other. So when we talk about joy being from heaven, I, I want us to think about kind of the otherness, the distance there, the, the bigness of God, that, that God brings us joy, but that joy comes from the outside. It's not a joy that we just kind of dig up from within us, right? Really, I'm good deep down inside. I can pull that joy from within me. No, that's, that's not the biblical story. It's this joy that's alien. It's, it's other. It's, it's heavenly. So here's what it looks like. It explodes on the scene from these angels. These guys are terrified. The shepherds are fearful. Verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the first response when we're approached by heaven, when we're approached by holiness, the otherness of God, God's perfection, we're struck by our own sinfulness and we should be terrified. That is the first and right appropriate response before God. 
when we recognize how holy and how perfect God is, we should recognize how not holy we are. And we should be struck by that. And then the angel has to speak good news, right? You have to have bad news before you can receive good news. And so the bad news is, oh my, oh no, I'm, I'm not holy. They're terrified. But the angel says, hey, we've got good news. We've got good news for you. God, God is coming down. God is coming down. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So this joy comes from the good news of a God who's not just leaving us in our terror, in our fear, in our judgment, but he's coming to us. He's sending a Savior. Again, he's going to be born in a manger. Look at this, verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We need, to not, we need to not be tired of how crazy the story is. God comes down. He sends a Savior. He takes on flesh, and he's laid in a manger. He's born in a barn. Just the humility of God and the way he comes to us is amazing. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So it started off one angel. Just one angel was scary enough. They were all terrifying. And he said, they, they were terrified. And, and the angel said, it's okay, fear not. Good news, great joy. The Savior's coming for you. And then more angels come. This was probably a really incredible scene. It says a heavenly host. Host means like an army, like hundreds, thousands of angels now busting into the sky, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's incredible, terrifying, exciting, mountaintop experience. Angels praising God. Heaven busting into the boring, everyday, routine life of these shepherds. What's really interesting, too, again, another kind of contrast or juxtaposition here is it says, God, uh, glory to God in the highest on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You probably recognize that phrase. We sing that phrase, slightly different version of that because it's translated a lot of different ways. It's an interesting kind of technical phrase in the Greek. Um, peace to those with whom he is pleased. It's those upon whom his favor rests. And it's a, kind of a technical phrase for the chosen people of God, right? So Israel at this time, this little tribe saw themselves as the chosen people of God. Because what is God doing in history? God is Uh, wanting to save the world. And he says, I'm going to start with this one little insignificant tribe that's not great in and of themselves to show that I'm a gracious God, right? I'm not choosing the strongest tribe. I'm not going to come in and use Egypt or Babylon because they're too strong. I want to use somebody small and weak and insignificant. So he chooses Israel. But Israel, just like us today as the people of God, we sometimes think of ourselves as chosen because we deserve it. That's exactly the opposite of what the idea of being chosen or being the people that please God means. Being the people that please God or being the people that are chosen by God or being God's special people is actually the exact opposite of earning it. We're the people that don't deserve it. We're the people that should be in awe that God would save us, would use us, would impact the world with us. So God's plan is made clear here where he's announcing this good news of him working with the special chosen people, and he's doing it in a way where he's communicating it to these outsiders that feel very unchosen, feel like outsiders. And that's always how it works. We either feel like I'm something great and God should be happy to have me, and God judges us and brings us down a notch. 
before we think, man, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm terrible. God says, peace to you. Good news to you. Great joy to you. I'm coming for you. It's been often said that religion is man trying to climb the stairway up to God, the stairway to heaven. But Christianity is Jesus becoming that stairway to heaven, coming down to us. So in Christianity, heaven comes down to us. In every other religion, we're trying to work our way up to heaven. And that's the difference of this good news here. What are those moments where you feel like you've been given a glimpse of heaven? I'm guessing that none of you have had like thousands of heavenly hosts burst into the scene, like in the middle, you're working the night shift, and all of a sudden angels start shouting to you, right? I'm sure you haven't had that experience because it's just not that normal. It doesn't happen every day. Um, But we have these little moments where we feel like we get a breakthrough, like a mountaintop experience. I know I've had these experiences where um, I've gotten to work with a great group of people, you know, just great Christian fellowship where you feel like you're really helping each other out, you're loving each other, you're working side by side, and you just feel like you get a little taste of, of heaven in that fellowship. Or just great teaching, you feel like, man, the Word is really coming alive, and you're just excited about what you're learning from the Scriptures, and you feel like, okay, i got a little, little taste there of heaven. Um, maybe it's just in nature. I, I know for me, I really, I really feel like I can see God as this great Creator God sometimes when I'm out in nature, uh, beautiful sunrise the last few days. This week, we've had a lot of beautiful sunrises beautiful sunsets, um, the stars when I go up at night and go out at night and see the stars. I grabbed a picture here of stars. This is a picture of the stars at night. You know, the stars at night are big and bright. You're supposed to clap. There we go. Thank you. Deep in the heart of Texas. So um, this picture, that was just a silly aside. Sorry. This picture also has trees, which we don't have around here. Maybe you come from a place with trees, right? Maybe when you see beautiful trees, you are just reminded of God's bigness and His beauty and His glory. Maybe it's the mountains. I don't know what it is for you, but we get those moments when we feel like I've gotten a glimpse. I've had a taste of how big and how awesome God is. Joy comes from heaven. And we need to remember again that it comes from heaven to us. We don't work our way up to God. So the way I would say it is this by way of application. For a lot of us, we might have come to a point where we recognize we've kind of lived our life maybe the wrong way in the past. We're trying to get our stuff together. A lot of times, those of you that are trying to get your stuff together, you find your way into a church, and you're like, I'm trying to get my stuff together. Church is a good idea. You're making plans, trying to clean up your life. I just want to lovingly encourage you to cancel your plans because there's, there's no way you can get all your stuff together. Like, it's not going to work. Again, man's thousands and thousands of years of effort of trying to work our way up to heaven has never worked. We need this story, this unique story, among all the stories in world history that says God has worked his way down to us. That's a different story. So cancel your plans to impress God. Cancel your, your plans to fix yourself so that God would be pleased with you. Think about it this way. What if... What if you believe that God was actually pleased with you through Jesus? What if you believe that God had adopted you into his family, not because of anything you've done, not because of what family you come from, not because of your education, not because of your accomplishments, but because of what Jesus has done for you? What if you really believed that God was pleased with you through Jesus? 
what kind of plans would you make then? What kind of plans would you make if you were absolutely one with God? If he loved you, if you could be totally assured. And, and what I would tell you is that's, that's the assurance we can have in the gospel. That God loves you as much as he loves his own son. If you trust that Jesus has taken your sin and Jesus has given you his righteousness, God is pleased with you. There's nothing else to do to work your way up to God. God has worked his way down to you. So here's a couple of things I would suggest. A couple of plans that I see as I read the Bible. These are things people do when they believe that God loves them. Instead of things we do to try to get God to love us, these are things people do because they believe God loves them. And it's serving others and participating in community. Serving others. If you believe that God has worked his way down to you, if you believe that God is the God who brings joy from heaven and he stoops to serve us, then you're going to want to stoop to serve others because you're going to feel full, you're going to feel loved, and you're going to want to serve other people. The other thing is, is community. If you believe that the God of the universe has taken hold of you and adopted you and brought you into his family, again, not because of anything you've done, but because of his love, you're going to want to treat other people that way as well. You're going to want to show that kind of family love to others. You're going to want to lock arms with others and join in fellowship and and care for other people the way you believe that God has cared for you. So I want to encourage you to start making new plans. We've got a new year coming up. Scrap the plans of what can I do to get God to love me. Start over and say, God loves me in Jesus. What do I do because he loves me? How am I going to plan my life differently? The last thing that we see is joy in the valley. So joy from heaven. These shepherds have had a mountaintop experience. And this, uh, I hesitate to say this, and I'm not sure how to say this well, but I think you'll follow me. This is probably the most significant spiritual experience the shepherds ever had and ever will have, right? Apart from heaven itself. So the shepherds had an appearance from heavenly beings, In the Old Testament, there's a couple of words. I think there's actually three, but there's two main words used for angels. One is seraphim, one is cherubim. Cherubim are usually described as these creatures with multiple wings, wings to cover their face, wings to cover their feet, and wings to fly with. And they have weird animal faces, and they're basically scary monsters, okay? And these are these scary monster creatures that are messengers of God. There's another variety of angels called seraphim, and that word means flames of fire, so they're kind of also scary monsters, and they're like on fire. So these angels that appeared to them are not like um, feminine-looking people in white robes with gold candles singing songs, kind of gentle, kind, right? These are scary monster beings from the presence of God. This is like overwhelming that brought them terror, right? And this was an incredible spiritual experience that they had. And then what happens now? Now, they go down in the valley, and it's almost, again, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, it's almost a letdown now. They go see Jesus after this incredible angelical experience, right? Because Jesus is just a baby laying in the straw. I just want want you to, again, think about this story and how incredible this story is, the contrasts that God is setting us up for in this story. We often want to stay with the spiritual high. We often want to live in the place of the crazy experience when Jesus is going to meet us down in the valley, laying in the straw. So so follow this, verse 15. He says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they're going to obey. Big, crazy, scary spiritual experience is over. Now they're going to obey in the daily life down in the valley. Verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So we're going to get here in verses 18 through 23 different reactions to, to what's going on here. The first is the shepherds tell the story and people wonder at it. Um, and wonder is kind of started to take on this different meaning in modern English. So wonder, we kind of tend to use it as like, hmm, I wonder about that. Kind of a passive like thinking, pondering. But really wonder is more of an, an amazement, uh, just a freak out, ah, oh, that, that's what wonder means in the biblical sense. And so the shepherds tell the story. This is what happened. This is what God told us. And people are blown away by it. Um, I, I like to think when people hear the gospel in a church setting like this, or when you're communicating the gospel to a friend, they are genuinely blown away by it. They are genuinely rocked. You mean the God of the universe could love me, a sinner, through Jesus? And there should be some sense of awe and wonder at that. But then there's kind of a taking it deeper that we see with Mary. Look at verse 19. But Mary, a little contrast there, but, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So we see with Mary kind of a taking it deeper, not just, wow, that's amazing. God loves me. All right, back to normal. Mary is chewing on it. Mary, this could be meditating would be a way to describe this. Mary is just pondering, treasuring, kind of going back over this reality of, wow, God's really doing what he said he was going to do. Like, this is really happening. God is this amazing, and she's continuing to wonder in the sense that she's treasuring these things in her heart. She's meditating and pondering on them. And then we see this other reaction then. Another way we can go with verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds returned. So again, I want you to see the contrast here. The shepherds returned. What did they return to? They've just had a spiritual experience, right? They've just been on the mountaintop with the angels. They now went and shared what they saw with other people. And now what do they do? They're going to take this show on the road, right? They're going to go have like a 20-city tour. They're going to make a lot of money. No, 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 that's not it at all. They're going to go back and shepherd again. They're going to go back and work with the animals. They're going to go back and work the night shift. That's what the shepherds are going to do. But they're glorifying and praising God along the way. And I think this is a beautiful example of what God calls us to. We all want to stay on the mountaintop, right? If you've had a mountaintop experience, you want to stay there. I love mountaintop experiences. Mountaintop experiences are awesome. I'd love to just live in mountaintop experiences. I would say that's basically what we believe heaven to be. Heaven is the like unending mountaintop experience, one after another. Farther up and farther in, C.S. Lewis says in his fiction books. It's this incredible rush, right? But where we are now in history, we're not in heaven yet. We're, we're in the valley. And we might get more mountaintop experiences. You know, you might have another one next week, but the day-to-day is, is living down in the valley, in the mundane, in the ordinary. And God calls us to bring the joy that God has given us down into these kind of ordinary places in our life. I have a picture here of someone standing on top of a mountain just to give you that sense. I know we've all had some kind of experience that was a, man, God's awesome. Man, God's big. And we might feel very called 
very clear and excited about God's will for our life in that moment. And I have hopefully not overly depressing news, but the news is God wants you to bring that joy then down into the valley. Oswald Chambers uh, writes a devotional called My Utmost First Highest. It's actually, I think, the most popular devotional book that's ever been written. I read it multiple times when I was a new Christian. I don't read it as much anymore, but really enjoyed it. Um, I would just say as a Bible geek, if you're looking to learn how to study the Bible, he's not someone to learn from uh, because he doesn't do expository, right? He doesn't really teach the Bible, but he's got some good insight. So again, good, good material. He's just not really a Bible teacher, but he's got some interesting biblical insights. And here's one of them that's a really good one from October 1st. He says this, he says, We've all experienced times of exaltation on the mountain when we've seen things from God's perspective and have wanted to stay there. So that's how he's defining a mountaintop experience is you see things from God's perspective and you want to stay there. And he's coming off of this idea from the story of the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John see Jesus in his full glory on a mountaintop. Oswald Chambers goes on and he says, but God will never allow us to stay there. The true test of our spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. So Chambers is on to something here that mountaintop experiences are awesome. We love these big mountaintop experiences. We love these spiritual experiences when we have this clarity about who Jesus is. And then he calls us to take that clarity and live it out in the valley. Just like the shepherds, he calls us to go back to the night shift, working with the animals, and glorify God and praise him in that ordinary life. He calls us to to live out the extraordinary of the good news of the hope we have in Jesus in our ordinary, boring, mundane, whatever you want to call it, life. I see two places where we struggle with this, I think. Um, One is with people and one is with tasks. Living out the joy that God gives us in the valley, the valley, the kind of humdrum of, of ordinary people and ordinary tasks. When you think about the ordinary people God's put around you, I've been really challenged lately by a new book I've been reading called Imperfect Pastor by Zach S. Zach S. Wine. If you follow my uh, tweeting, twittering, whatever you call it, I've been tweeting stuff, throwing out these little quotes from the book that have been really helpful to me. Um, one of the quotes he talks about, he says it something like this, God has given you a handful of people whom he's called you to love. And you need to not keep looking over their shoulder for others right? Like love the people God has put in front of you. Don't keep looking over their shoulder like, oh yeah, 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 but there's others out there, right? And that's hard as a pastor, right? Because part of my calling is, is world domination with the gospel, right? So I'm called to love you, but I'm called to love everybody, all billions and billions and millions of them, right? There's that kind of like urge to reach everyone that a pastor has. And I think probably some of you have that same urge maybe in your job to some other degree, But it's this call to slow down and bring the joy that God gives you into the right now. God calls us to a local place and a local people. Don't keep looking for a better option. We're we're in a place in history where we can rotate jobs, rotate friends, rotate cities, rotate spouses. God says, no, be faithful. Be faithful. Stay here. Bring the joy that I've given you down into the valley, into the mundane. The other thing I think we struggle with is just tasks, because we have this idea that, that God is in the big stuff, the out there stuff, but he's not in the down here normal stuff, right? So remember, the shepherds are the people that God wanted to reveal the story to, and they went back to shepherding. 
How were they changed? They were, they were changed. They were glorifying God. They were praising God. I like to think they were better shepherds than they'd ever been before. And they were sharing this news that they had, but they still went back to the shepherding. God calls us to live out the joy that he gives us in the mundane, changing diapers, taking out the trash, doing the dishes. God has called us to live the joy of the gospel in this tangible world that we live in. This is the world he's called us to be faithful in, the world where we have to go to sleep at night, the world where we get sick, the world where we have to eat, the world where we have to clean things, the world where we have to fix things and then fix things again because they break again. That's the world he's called us to be faithful in. So I want to encourage you again, because of the joy that God's given us, we can have this joy even in the valley. Even the boring, humdrum, mundane things, it's good. We think sometimes in the church, uh, I, I think we emphasize these exciting global partnerships we have. We've talked about, we have partnerships with people all over the world. Uh, one of the things we do is, a, is just a discipline and habit as our church. We take 10% of our general giving and we push that out uh, to global outreach, people all over the world. And that's really exciting. But just remember that we think 90% of our ministry is here. It's in this boring place right here. And that that's okay. That's good. God hasn't called all of us to do exciting things on mountaintops. God has called most of us to change diapers and shepherd and work the night shift and be faithful to God and bring joy right here, right here in our ordinary lives. I want to wrap up by just thinking again about this concept of joy. Joy is commanded. I started out with that. Philippians 4 is clear. Rejoice. It's a command. It's an imperative. I'll say it again. Rejoice. We should rejoice in the Lord always. We don't rejoice because life is easy. We don't rejoice because life is perfect and simple. Our bodies are falling apart. Our relationships are broken. We rejoice because the good news that comes down from heaven. We rejoice because God the Father rejoices us in us first. And I was thinking of just a little illustration of this. Several years ago, my son and I had gone out of town for a swim meet, um, and he'd done a lot of swimming. You know, he'd worked himself really hard, and so I was going to give him ice cream, and then lunch. Sometimes we like to reverse that order in our family. So um, he was eating some ice cream, and we were sitting in the parking lot of Rudy's Barbecue about to go eat some barbecue. And I'm just sitting there smiling, looking at my son. He's probably nine years old, just looking at him eat ice cream. And he's, I guess, getting uncomfortable that I'm staring at him while he's eating the ice cream. He's like, do you want some? I don't think he really wanted to share it, but he thought maybe he should. I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just happy. I'm just enjoying, I just have joy seeing you enjoy your ice cream. And for like a nine-year-old boy, he just, I think he just said, that's weird, or something like that. You know, like it just, that didn't really compute. And, and just to be clear, I'm not really that holy. I was about to eat barbecue, right? So it's not like I'm this selfless person that loves to watch other people have good things all the time. Um, a, a picture of that is later on in the book of Luke. Jesus says that even you earthly fathers, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus says, us us earthly fathers, we're evil and we still know how to be nice to our kids. How much more does our heavenly father know how to give good gifts to us? How much more does our heavenly father delight in our joy? So remember, joy is not something we dig up from within us. Joy is something we manifest because the God of the universe had joy in us. He came after us. He came down to us. He sent Jesus for us. He took our sins. He placed them on Jesus. He gives us Jesus righteousness. He brings us into his family. So rejoice. Let me pray for us and respond in communion together. God, thank you 
but you rejoice in us. You rejoiced in us so much you sent us Jesus. And so I pray that you would teach us what it means to have a supernatural joy, a joy despite the circumstances that we live in, a joy despite the mundane. God, help us to to manifest the reality of, of you being at work in our hearts. And Lord, we know this can only happen because of your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that is too good to not be true, the story that, that shakes us up as we really think about it. And we pray that we'd be reminded of your goodness. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.